Welcome to the Nerd Review. This is the show where we talk about movies, TV shows, video games, books, and comic books. You're listening to episode 10, and today we're talking about Harry Potter. So we're going to focus on the first movie, The Philosopher's Stone, or The Sorcerer's Stone, depending on where and when you saw it. Though these days, I watch it on Crave, uh, up here in Canada, eh? And uh, the title is now The Philosopher's Stone, so most people people should uh, should probably know by both names. And let's just jump into uh, the movie. Directed by one of my absolute favorite directors, Christopher Columbus. Uh, He wrote The Gremlins and The Goonies, another one of my favorite movies. Uh, I mean, I have a lot of favorite movies. I mean, they're all my favorites. Uh, You know, I have so many different favorites. We talked about it in the favorites episode, uh, different seasons, uh, you know, everything can from down to, uh, you know, what I'm eating and what I'm wearing changes and influences uh, my favorite at any given moment. So The Goonies one of my favorites Harry Potter one of my favorites uh, it's a long list of favorites everything's my favorite <laughs> no. uh, so Christopher Columbus has a long list of great movies um, those are some of his writing credits uh, prior to Harry Potter he directed Home Alone 1 and 2 uh, Mrs. Doubtfire one of my mom's favorite uh, Robin Williams movies uh, shout out to mom uh, he also directed uh, Bicentennial Man that was the year before Harry uh, Harry Potter, another Robin Williams movie. Uh, rest in peace, Robin Williams. Uh, that movie also had uh, Sam Neill in it from Jurassic Park, uh, Dr. Alan Grant. Uh, just great movie, <laughs> like a sci-fi robot assistant that's trying to you know, get emotions. It's a bicentennial man. Uh, so um, let's just uh, jump back into Harry Potter. There's uh, a little tangent there. Uh, so Christopher Columbus is the director. Uh, he was one of the producers of Harry Potter and having you know written the Goonies and directed Home Alone 1 and 2 and Mrs. Doubtfire. I believe he was just, you know, such a great choice for this movie. He's already worked extensively with young actors, uh, you know, child actors, as some people say. And he, you know, he handles the cast so well. He directs them so well. You know, in the case of Home Alone 1 and 2, um, those movies are just so iconic that uh, I think he was he was, he was was a great choice for Harry Potter. And he directed, obviously, you know, in, in, uh, you know, in hindsight, you look at Harry Potter and he directed uh, that cast so well those those young actors those young thespians so well that it it's such a great introduction to the franchise. I mean, it is the first movie, so it's the, obviously you hope, you know, the first impressions mean so much and you hope that it would be a great movie. And it was, it is still such a great movie from the directing, the writing, which I mean, you know, a lot of that credit goes to JK Rowling. Um, and you know, she wrote the book and the book is adapted. The screenplay was adapted and they, you know, in the first movie, it's very faithful. Um, uh, you know, I, I didn't read the first books. They came out when I was uh, younger. Uh, the first book came out in 1999, I believe. And at the time, I was uh, 1999. I was ooh, what? I was five. And so a bit above me, they were they were a bit thicker books. And, you know, I struggled to read a bit uh, growing up. So, I, you know, I always felt that I missed the train. I didn't get to read the books. But then the movie started pumping out. And I was at the I was at like the perfect age for the Harry Potter movies. I mean, they started coming out in two thousand and one, and basically every year or almost every other year, 
I was going to see a Harry Potter movie with my whole family and it became like a tradition and the part something something you look forward to you would see the trailer you would you would watch it over and over again on a you know if you had it on a VHS or something you know um, or if it was playing on TV and you would sit in front of the TV and you'd be like oh my god another Harry Potter movie's coming out or you know the first Harry Potter movie's coming out and I have my older brother um, she's, you know shout out to, to my brother um, so we were just we were super excited we were like the perfect ages in 2001 uh, you know their first years and I'm you know I'm in first grade in 2001 so like I could relate to the characters and you know the actors are my age they're probably the first uh, celebrities that I was you know aware of and that I could you know you know pseudo relate to in my you know my uh, you know first grade brain and it was so much fun you know you could pick up a, a stick and play make-believe with uh, my friends and you know we were a wizard just by picking up a stick now you know it was it was so simple and it was so much fun to grow up with Harry Potter in that sense something that I feel uh, that I was very lucky and fortunate um, you know in that regard you know kids still to this day they have the opportunity to grow up with Harry Potter um, if you're you know a parent that so chooses to introduce your child to Harry Potter but for me it wasn't like you know uh, I will use Star Wars as an example uh, a lot of people in my family are huge Star Wars fans and I, you know, in a way, grew up with Star Wars 2. Um, well, I mean, I did grow up with Star Wars 2 because basically at the same time, the prequels were coming out, but uh, more the original saga. So I was, I had already seen those movies. Um, people in my life were watching them. My uncle was watching them. Uh, other friends had seen them. But in the sense of Harry Potter, um, it was everywhere. It was on the TV. There was billboards. There was lunchboxes. There was Halloween costumes. So I really, I grew up with the the fandom and the 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 big hype that was Harry Potter. So I got to experience that bandwagon and that excitement every time there was a new book or a new movie, a new trailer. It was just pure excitement, and that was something that is something that I I treasure. And it was such a great part of my childhood. I'm, I, you know, I say it. I'm so lucky and so grateful that I got to grow up with Harry Potter. I think that's something that's really cool. And I mean, that's what these movies are. You know, a, a time capsule. They encapu encapsulate um, childhood, in my opinion. You know, I watch a Harry Potter movie. And I instantly remember the first time I sat down to watch a Harry Potter movie, uh, you know, the first one, the second one, the third one, be it the theater viewing or uh, I believe we had, uh, yeah, we had the first two Harry Potters on VHS. Uh, and they had those beautiful slipcover jackets, those cardboard uh, slipcover VHS jackets. And... Uh, you know, when you have child actors, it can go um, so poorly for the actor, uh, and not just later in life. Um, it's something that's uh, you know incredible in my mind, and, and something that I read about that I find absolutely uh, you know terrible was that just you know two years prior to Harry Potter coming out, uh, the first movie came out in two thousand and one, and you know you read and you hear nowadays that you know Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson and Rupert Grint they they all had great 
you know experiences and they look back and they they enjoyed their time on the harry potter sets and they became you know this family that you know they were also close for so many years but just two years prior um the first star wars prequel star wars episode one came out and the young actor who played anakin skywalker jake lloyd um he was just tormented by you know fans or you know not, not even fans uh people who didn't like you know episode one for whatever mar- myriad of reasons they had you know this is before um you know disney would buy star wars and everybody jumped on the i love star wars bandwagon and you know back then it was just became this this online hate campaign um that they targeted toward a nine-year-old uh, which just, you know, it blows my mind because a bunch of assholes didn't like a movie. Um, they're going to send hate and and online bully and affect this child's life and his mental health. And that's just terrible um, that, you know, he was treated so poorly. Um, and then, you know, it's 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 crazy that just two years later that, you know, people had such a different response to Harry Potter and they they praised these child actors versus, you know, those child actors or j- just because they didn't like the Star Wars story or however it was, you know, presented for whatever reason, their, you know, their dislike of that movie, uh, you know, in their mind, excused or allowed them to, you know, spread and and target such a young child. You know, uh, Jake Lloyd was nine years old uh, when he starred in Star Wars. So to have an online hate campaign and just these really rough reviews that were just so, you know, aggressively worded and targeted toward a nine-year-old who unfortunately wasn't shielded, um, you know, by it, uh, people you know criticize George Lucas, and not to go on a tangent and uh, you know a weird dive on Star Wars, but it's just you know the movies came out so so close to each other that it's hard not to draw a comparison to how you know the the, the differences between how these these actors these young actors were were treated. The treatment is so different, you know. In my mind, uh, and and in hindsight, you know, I remember seeing you know Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, and and you know Rupert. Grant the you know this trio the harry potter trio um they had you know basically the same treatment as justin bieber and uh hannah montana that would come you know in years to follow they were on every lunchbox and they were in commercials and they were you know promos for everything and the 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 actors the characters were just like put on a pedestal and they were respected and you know everybody just gave them praise for their portrayals and you know standing up next to these you know huge you know names in acting who played you know the teachers and snape and you know all these other you know amazing actors who were in the harry potter movies versus what happens to Jake Lloyd and they, you know, they tear down his performance and they didn't like Jar Jar Banks and they didn't like, you know, uh, you know, Liam Neeson's character or this or that. And it's just, it's such a dichotomy between, you know, two fantasy movies that came out roughly around the same time. And it's just, you know, tragic how, you know, that one actor unfortunately you know basically he was just you know thrown to the wolves of hollywood and you know he would retire from acting by the time harry potter came out two years later uh he retires from acting at the year of you know the age of 12 uh which is 
which is quite sad and it's just terrible stuff you know that's all i can all i can say on that uh but i digress i'll get off this tangent let's get back to harry potter um so like i said harry potter uh you know i grew up with harry potter um i mentioned that i didn't get to read the books but uh, as of recently i am listening to the audiobooks uh, recorded by Stephen Fry, not the American ones. Um, I don't, you know, no hate on the American, uh, you know, the voiceover uh, gentleman. But if you're going to listen to Harry Potter, which they, you know, they went out of their way to cast all British actors for the movies, why would you want to listen to it read with an American accent when there is the availability of one read by Stephen Fry, who has such an amazing, you know, authentic British voice? Uh, phenomenal highly recommend listening to that if you haven't uh, you know already gone through the Harry Potter books or if you want to revisit them in a different media audiobooks are really cool I recommend that and listening to the Harry Potter audiobooks allows me to do a compare and contrast which is something that I really enjoy uh, one of the nerdy things that I enjoy doing uh, is watching a movie or reading a comic book and then watching the adaptation or vice versa how you know in the case of Harry Potter I didn't have the opportunity to to read the books they were a bit more advanced when I was younger and you know as I mentioned earlier I struggled with you know uh, my reading comprehension it took me a few extra years to really grasp all those you know finer concepts of writing and reading and by the time that I did I had already seen most of the movies and when I was younger it didn't really appeal to me to go and read these books and you know for me I had already seen the movies I'd spoken to them you know spoken about them to my friends uh, but now one of the things I really enjoy is going back and, and looking up that source material and it's uh, it's amazing how many series and movies that come out these days that if you just take the title and write it in you know on Google just go and, and type in source material that you'll be shocked that it's a book it's a comic book there's a short story with something uh, a great example is The Witcher on Netflix it's adapted from a series uh, from the series is adapted from a video game but the video game is based on a book series that was purchased by the video game company that then adapts it into uh, a, a series. So it, it, it all kind of comes full circle. So there's all these, these, these different iterations, different versions of these characters, of these stories. And, you know, as you hand them off and you, you transform them, you adapt them into these different forms of media, you lose a bit, you bring a bit, you, you know, there's always these creative voices. You know, you have a director, you know, Christopher Columbus, you have an executive producer, you have the costumes, you have all these things that have been described to a point and then it's left up to you know the visual effects artists and the director the you know the director of photography all these people have to come together and produce this this work of fiction into the 3d world either you know an animated video game or a tv series or a movie and this collaborative process of adapting something is so amazing in my opinion it's one of the reasons why i love marvel movies why i love dc movies why i love you know when a comic book or a book becomes a movie because there's such a, this creative process and melding that happens that you know there's so many choices to be made that is so interesting it's just it's like the the uh, pinnacle of creativity in my opinion, that's what it is. You have all these different forms of creative minds coming together to really take something off the page and give you something to watch. 
and be mesmerized by and it becomes Harry Potter it becomes you know Iron Man or the Avengers and it's just amazing entertainment that is breathtaking and I can gush about it forever but let's get back to Harry Potter so let's skip the recap we all know what the movie is about it's the Philosopher's Stone uh, or the Sorcerer's Stone so the reason that it was changed was Scholastics America they didn't believe they had no faith in their readers let's put it that way they didn't think that American children would know what a philosopher was they were not familiar with this concept so they changed the they changed the edit of the book and the title to Sorcerer's Stone and a young uh, novice J.K. Rowling not wanting to push back just accepted the changes something that she has gone on record saying that she regrets and that's probably why that if you watch it on Crave or if you stream it or you look at the movie now it does the Philosopher's Stone so let's get into uh, some of the interesting stuff behind the scenes uh, trivia what it went into making this movie the VFX everything let's jump into that now so I'm going to start with VFX Uh, as I've said before I love VFX practical versus you know well vfx cgi uh so i love it uh harry potter used uh you know used both it was definitely the way to go it's always the way to go mixing and blending between the practical and the cgi if you can achieve it if it's too fantasiful if it's too wizardy and you need to use the computer layer it Put some real shit in there, have them, you know, wave the wand, do the stuff in the foreground, and then add the VFX. And that's what they did. That's what, uh, so a lot of it was Industrial Light and Magic, ILM, uh, Sony Image, Sony Picture Imaging, uh, SPI, uh, were big houses at the time. They had a lot to do with making the VFX of Harry Potter look so amazing. And there, there is parts of the movie in the first movie where it's great uh, layering. In uh, if you look at the Quidditch match, you have uh, you know when Harry is on his broom, when Daniel Radcliffe is flying. Uh, this looks really real. It's it's Daniel Radcliffe on a broom, and they've used a green screen, a blue screen, whatever have you, and they've done the layering, and he's moving around and he's flying on his broomstick. But when uh, it, if you look at the earlier scene when they're learning to fly and it's Neville on his broom. This scene, from the moment he comes up off his feet, it switches to a cartoon. Uh, it, it instantly becomes a CGI VFX animated cartoon sequence of this kid flying around on his broomstick. And, and it cuts back and forth, you know, when he gets hung by his robe, by his wizard's robe on that lamppost, uh, which he's super lucky didn't just like impale him. That was like super sharp. That would have, that would have been a different type of Harry Potter movie though, if, if Neville got impaled on the torch post. So let's just be grateful that it just snagged his robe and broke his fall uh, but when he's hanging there for a second at the very top it does cut to you know a real scene and it's Neville and then right back you know as soon as he falls it's uh, you know it's a cartoon again that's what that's what dated CGI ends up looking like 20 21 years later uh, you know it's 2022 and the movie came out in 2001 so all these years later and you look back and you're just like real movie cartoon real movie cartoon which thankfully is it's limited there weren't that many entirely CGI warranted scenes the only other one would be 
which is going to be my biggest lament of the movie and not just the movie because this goes back to the it goes back right to the freaking book it was in the book i listened to the audiobook and i know that it's there so it's just it's the troll scene the troll scene in the movie is just it irks me so it has nothing to do with the troll the whole scene is fine the whole thing is fine there's a troll in the dungeon there's a troll in the dungeon troll in the dun we all know the scene uh, what irks me and what I've read countless times is so Harry and Ron, you know, everyone's being left led out of the, the, the great hall and they realize that Hermione is still in the, the girl's bathroom on the second floor because she's crying. Ron was kind of a dick um, and she's upset. So they decide heroically we have to go and warn her. Now everything up until that is honest and that's what they were doing. They were going to the girl's bathroom to warn her. And they, I mean, they didn't know that the troll was going to be there. They didn't know that he'd already made his way to the dungeon and they kind of like cross paths right away. And, you know, it's safe to say that they save her life. The troll, you know, smashes through the bathroom and things are going flying again. Practical scenes, the wood flying everywhere is great. But the troll, so like, as I said, the troll is, you know, it's clearly a cartoon troll and they're interacting with it is you know shaky at best for scenes you know they have them just kind of standing in the foreground and you got the big troll there as soon as harry goes on top of the troll though it turns into a cartoon daniel radcliffe and he's you know shaking about there and you can see the tone difference too like it's 2001 and the vfx are a bit shaky like it's not you know if it was 2021 or 2022 if, it, if they remake harry potter one day they turn it into a tv series maybe something you know transformative that would be cool um they would do such a better job he you know he might actually be sitting on you know somebody's shoulders that they would then you know computerize but in this shot it's a cartoon let's just get past it now what irks me my problem with this scene is when mcgonagall and you know snape and everybody shows up and they've defeated the troll they you know bonked him on the head wingardium leviosa it was a great scene now what bothers me and what goes right back into the book because this is this was this scene was verbatim what they wrote when they ask to explain themselves harry and ron had a perfectly legitimate reasoning they went to warn hermione now yes it could be argued that they could have told the authorities the authorities they could have told the teachers they could have told somebody but in the commotion in the chaos right uh i think it was it would be excusable that they didn't think to warn somebody uh they didn't think to tell the teacher they just ran off their kids whatever this is this is totally legitimate now hermione interjects and this is what irks me she has no reason to lie she she didn't even know about the troll and she comes up on the spot with this oh i went to look for the troll because i thought you know like i thought i was good enough for it or something like i could take it out uh, i was fascinated and they're all like i expect better from you but like was she, I mean, I guess she was trying to save face. Like she didn't want them to know she was upset. But I mean, you could have just you could just said you were using the bathroom. Like I I was late to the dinner hall because I was using the the latrines or something, and my friends came in and saved my life. Like wouldn't that have made so much more sense? 
that and it's not like that's what leads them to detention that leads them to you know finding something out about you know the thou who shall not be named or Voldemort or whatever want you which you know that's what happens in the second movie you know they go out they get detention they find out some you know more information but this didn't even lead to that so it was just like well it was the point of having I, you know, I guess it, like she was again you know maybe she's trying to like make them look better but I mean they already look pretty good they took out a troll their first years like so so that not only being a you know poor VFX scene, but also the one scene in the entire movie that to me and the book make no sense. There's it just it irks me. Uh, let's we could we could move on to a different scene in the movie now. Um, there's so much there's so much good here, right? There's so many good parts of this movie. Uh, you know, all the other VFX parts are really great. Um, the the chess the the wizard's chest uh, game chess chess game not chest the wizard's chess game at the end of the movie was phenomenal uh you know all the porcelain and the pieces exploding and and the depiction like the way that they designed these chess characters was phenomenal uh i read in one of the trivias that it was based off of a, a historical chessboard that was found somewhere in edinburgh or somewhere in england in like it was dated back to like being from like 1800 or even older than that it was it was over 1300 years old or something and it's on display in a national museum museum in a national museum in england and that's what the characters the, the chess pieces were actually designed after uh which is a really cool fact um a lot of the movie and the design elements were using real churches and and old locations to film the movie. Uh, there was a lot of pushback. A lot of people thought that Harry Potter was the depiction of uh, pagan paganism and witchcraft. Uh, so to to allow the filming to take place in different various locations that were Christian churches, there was a lot of um, uh, protests. Uh, one of the protests they sent uh, one of the final locations that they used for the filming of the movie. Uh, garnered, garnished so much uh, attention and pushback that they re they received quote sackfuls of uh, mail detest protesting and detesting detesting I think that's the right word uh, that they they should close up shop and that they shouldn't film here and you know all the mail-ins said that they're going to protest in person and they're going to show up and that they're going to stop them from filming they're going to block the entranceways and on the day of production or when they went to this area to shoot there was one protester that showed up and I guess that's a problem when it's 1999 and it's a lot harder to organize for a stupid cause like protesting the filming of a child's fantasy movie like find something better to do on a saturday afternoon guys <laughs> and while talking about the production of the harry potter movies the end product the ones that we have seen and loved it's interesting to note that warner brothers originally planned for very different versions of the harry potter movies there was a few different ideas that had been pitched originally uh, one was an animated version of the movie uh, you know the actors aging and the vfx that are required for uh, such a fantasyful movie 
you know, 21 years ago, uh, they had thought that an animated movie would be better suited. Uh, after that idea was vetoed, it was uh, suggested that they can combine elements from multiple books into fewer movies, again, so that the young actors cast would be able to be recast, or sorry, not able, <laughs> not, not not able, but not recast uh, for the following movies. Uh, ultimately, this was also vetoed uh, by J.K. Rowling, and Warner Brothers finally decided to greenlight all eight movies to be filmed back-to-back so that the young actors cast as Harry, Ron, Hermione, uh, and, you know, so on, would be able to come back and reprise their roles in the later movies. Uh, that's something that I find really interesting is that, you know, we could have had such a different experience with Harry Potter uh, if they weren't the live-action masterpieces with these wonderful scores, um, which is something I haven't even touched on. You know, you turn on a Harry Potter movie and... It's your, you know, the first movies with that, you know, that amazing, you know, introduction score that just brings you into this world so fast. You know, I put it on to listen to it in the background when I'm studying. And that's the the amazingness of a John Williams composed score. Uh, it's the same for Star Wars, Superman, Indiana Jones, E.T., Jurassic Park, um, Jaws, even Jaws, the score to Jaws. Uh, all of these composed scores all of them done by john williams just an amazing uh talented musical mind that has brought to life so many of our favorite movies these uh the 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 way the music rises in every scene that each scene feels it has the perfect tone it's just it's so amazingly done, and it it, it deserves more time. Uh, you know, we could dissect it. You could talk about the different notes, and just you know, it 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 really brings Harry Potter to life. It brings you know from that first scene of seeing Privet Drive and Dumbledore walk out of the shadows, and the music starts to swell, and it's rising, and it's there's a, there's this like you can tell that something you know something magical is coming and it's just it's so well done it it puts such a amazing well a sound right to these beautiful movies and it's something that's been you know perfected in so many ways and it really brings a you know a movie to the next level when you can close your eyes and you could hear those those notes and that that melody it's it's hands down phenomenal. It gives you goosebumps, and it was perfect. John Williams did the score for the first three movies, uh, and then there would be other um, other uh, was it composers? Yeah, composers. Other composers would come and do the composing for uh, four, five, and six. Uh, so that was Patrick Doyle does the Goblet of Fire. Uh, Nicholas Hopper did Order of the Phoenix and the Half Blood Prince, uh, and Alexander Desplat did the work on the final two movies. So just amazing composers coming together to create the Harry Potter soundtrack that we know and love and it's just such an amazing part of an amazing series there's so many of these different it's it's amazing that a franchise that as big as Harry Potter you know it has so much talent going into it from the composers the the music the score to the costume design to the the directors to the you know the different directors Christopher Columbus only directs the first two Harry Potters um, as a uh, first 
three Harry Potters? Sorry, I had to double check my my facts on that. I believe it's the first two Harry Potters. I believe they switched director at the third movie. Um, and that makes sense. They're, you know, they're going into a bit of more of a darker tone and, you know, the, the, the actors are a bit, a bit older by the third movie. And it's, uh, it's an amazing, like I said earlier, it's an amazing culmination of talent and beauty that they that they put into this movie. Uh, just expertise, talent, and craftsmanship, and writing, and composing, and directing, and uh, you know, let's just let's get back to the special effects and the crazy things that they were able to pull off. Um, so some some crazy things that uh, you know, like from the uh, if you watch the behind the scenes documentary, there's the making of Hagrid that they made this animatronic suit. You know, they designed this entire head, this animatronic head that is beautiful and it looks like Robbie Coltrane, uh, the late Robbie Coltrane. May he rest in peace. Um, you know, it's been it hasn't been very long since he passed away, and everybody's been saying it. You know, there's that line from the second Harry Potter, the Chamber of Secrets that, you know, it's not Hogwarts without you, Hagrid. And that really rings true. Um, Hagrid was this, this bigger than life, this giant character that they, that's, you know, the, he brings you into Harry Potter. He's your Obi-Wan Kenobi of Harry Potter. He, you know, he's the one that brings Harry to his aunt and uncle, and he's the one that brings him back into the fold. Um, verbatim how you know obi-wan kenobi did for luke skywalker and um a lot of people say that that's you know there's not a coincidence that it's a ripoff but a lot of you know from what i've heard what i've read and what i've spoken and what i've heard spoken to people is that the, the the stories are very similar in that they're you know fantasical operas and they're not the most you know out there stories types there's only seven types of stories out there in the world so that they have similarities is not uh you know some big conspiracy um I think that's amazing that you know they built this suit to create this character, um, and it it, it it's amazing. It, one of the, why it's amazing for me is that it's great that they didn't just decide to go the way of the troll, because that would have been terrible. Could you imagine if Hagrid had the same texture and the same appearance in the first movie as the troll did? That would have been that would have been terrible. Nobody would have enjoyed that. It, he would have been terrifying and not not this big hug of a character that everybody you know you you're in a bad mood or you know for me I, it's a rainy day or I'm in a bad mood. I want to watch Harry Potter. You know I want to hear Hagrid's voice and you know all of his words of encouragement and you know his guidance through the movies was invaluable and he's a great part of Harry Potter and the care and work that went into creating that it shows you know like that that's what shows that's what stands the test of time that they created this entire elaborate practical uh suit that they, they, they then then layered on you know the effects to make it you know the right skin tone and stuff and that they designed it after the actual face of the actor so that when they did close-ups they could just you know zoom in on his shoulders and his head and that's robbie coltrane and then when they zoom out you know it's this other actor wearing the big suit and that's just phenomenal it was so well done
And it's that level of expertise and care and, and attention to detail that is required to adapt something like a Harry Potter novel, a Harry Potter franchise into this juggernaut of a franchise that, you know, everyone loves and adores. It's finding the best people for the job, the the best actors, you know, sticking to, you know, bring only British actors in because it's a British story instead of having, you know, people doing accents or you know changing the the base of the novel in that way and it extends to every facet of the production including location scouting um one of the scenes in the movie when professor mcgonagall brings harry to meet um you know oliver wood uh for the the uh, quidditch captain right the scene is in professor quill's uh classroom uh, played by uh, professor quill played by ian hart uh and his classroom was filmed on location at lecoq abbey in wiltshire in a room known as the warming room and the cauldron scene in that is seen in that in that room it, i was gonna say scene in that scene <laughs> scene in that room is not a prop uh, it's, it actually came with the location and it's believed that that cauldron is over 500 years old and was used by the cooks who worked for Queen Elizabeth I. And that's just, uh, when you're reading the trivia, I thought that just jumped off of the page at me because that's, uh, you know, th this room actually came with a cauldron. Like you're a location scout and somehow through a grapevine, through knowledge that you've acquired, you know about this room in this building at this location and you know like a light bulb moment you're like that would be great for this shot at this point and they even have a cauldron we could use like you're filming a freaking wizard movie and the location that you scouted has a cauldron in it already like that guy deserves some brownie points <laughs> or man or woman whoever found that location deserves some extra brownie points and hopefully they got promoted to whatever the title is lead location scout because that's some good location scouting uh <laughs> and it's just things like that it just it adds you know finding those type of locations and it, it really brings the place to life. You know, the set looked so real because it was real. It's a real place. Um, and I think that's that's really cool. Another cool thing, um, there's so many cool things, right? Uh, Fluffy, w one of the things I read that Fluffy was based on Cerberus, the three-headed dog. Um, I think that was pretty obvious. But the model, the VFX model, which... Yeah, okay, I could say that it looked a lot like the troll, but I found that they did a better texturing job on Fluffy. The, I mean, it's 2001, so it's not, it's not the best, you know, it's not, uh, you know, Avengers or what have you. It doesn't look like, you know, Thanos, <laughs> but the, uh, I mean, I guess the troll, would you have to compare the troll to Thanos, but the dog, um, I, I think it looked a little bit better. Fluffy looked a little bit better. It was the fur, in my opinion. The texture on the fur looked more realistic than the skin on the troll. Uh, but to get back to Fluffy, so it's based on Cerberus, the three-headed dog, but it's modeled. The VFX model was modeled after a bull terrier. And when I think about it, I'm like, oh yeah. That makes a lot of sense. You can kind of see the design in the dog, like it's this Cerberus bull terrier mix, and I thought that was that was pretty interesting. Uh, another thing that I never noticed is that Harry casts no spells 
during this movie. Uh, and this was done on purpose. He performs several acts of magic, uh, including having parcel tongue and being able to speak to the snake. But all everything he does is accidental. You know, his ability to fly, um, being gifted with these, this you know, natural wizarding ability was what they were trying to depict. And that was the goal uh, of, you know, his story in this was that he is an a natural wizard that needs to attend Hogwarts to be, you know, properly trained to use all this magical abilities that are just spewing out of him, talking to snakes, making glass disappear. And I think that was really done. It was really well done because when you think back, you don't realize they're like, oh yeah, you know, he never actually cast his spell. Like you see him, you know, practicing at the, you know, at his, at his, you know, at his booth, uh, his table, his long table. But, uh, you know, it's only Hermione that manages to, uh, Wingardium Leviosa, that feather. Um, and it, I just thought that was really, you know, it's, it's, it's translated really well because it's not something that's like spoken or like, you don't, you have to really pay attention and, and it's, it, it does translate that way. Um, so it's, it's another layer that I enjoyed. Uh, something that I also find funny in those training scenes. Um, one of the ones that I always found, uh, funny was when the, one of his classmates, uh, was trying to do the, uh, Seamus when he's trying to turn the water into wine and I'm like, or water into rum. And I was just like, why would they teach spells like that to first graders? And then I had an idea, maybe a theory that, uh, that the reason why it kept blowing up in his face or that he was only able to turn it into tea was that maybe it was a higher level spell or one that you know young wizards aren't allowed to cast and that's why it keeps blowing up in his face because in in the wizarding world there's this accepted you know idea that you know magic is being watched or, or policed you know in the third one uh, harry's like you know he gets his uh, letter that they, they they already know that he's cast you know magic uh, and spells and they, they, they meet him on the way they meet him on the uh, at, at the, the leaky cauldron already um, and you know they had already you know fixed his aunt and then later on he would receive the expulsion letter basically instantly uh, from Umbridge so you know maybe that's what it was maybe the Seamus is trying to you know turn water into into rum but the you know laws of magic prohibit him from using this spell you know he's too young and so that all he could do is turn it into tea and if he keeps you know trying the spell over and over and over again it's like heating up maybe it's heating up the water the tea right it's trying to do this magical transformation and and then it explodes in his face and that's that's just a little thing something that i like to think of uh that you know they never really talk about it even in the book um uh, but i thought that was funny that's my little fan theory there is uh that's why sometimes their spells don't work when they're younger and uh you know why his keeps blowing up though he does also blow up the uh the feather so maybe that was just a running gag uh, but maybe his he just you know he has a lot of a lot of untapped power too and he you know he just waves his wand around causes things to blow up uh, that's a bit funny and there are so many more funny anecdotes and fan theories and trivia I, you know i could spend 45 more minutes you know more than an hour easily just going over the thousand plus trivia facts that have been entered into imdb or the harry potter wikipedia page or the fandom page or i mean you get it how many pages have been created uh dedicated to harry potter there were so many people that worked on the movies on the set 
sets, the actors, the crew members, uh, you know, these different experts and, you know, everybody in between. Uh, So there's so many stories and anecdotes and funny moments and trivia facts that you could just get lost reading about it. There's so many behind the scenes documentaries and deleted scenes, making of videos, interviews that it adds so much richness so much different uh you know stories perspectives from different members uh, you know at different levels of the movies you know from your stunt doubles to your lighting directors to your you know you know crew members craft services all this there you know i've read a story an account a perspective from so many of these you know wonderful you know people that were that you know had the amazing opportunity to be on these sets that there's just there's so much richness in this in this area we could we could spend all day talking about the behind the scenes and the making of because there it's such it's such a phenomenal movie that's looked upon with so much admiration and 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 nostalgia you know like it was such a great time it was such a great movie that everybody wants to talk about their their experience and their little anecdote of you know they they heard this or they spoke about you know such and such with daniel radcliffe or you know he said this while filming and it adds perspective and a layer of you know oh that's so interesting you know to think that you know that's what he was thinking at that time that's what he was feeling during that time and you know you could say that of anybody that was involved in this movie or any movie and i find that so interesting but when you have a movie as big as harry potter like i said you have over a thousand different trivia entries just like interesting facts about the production or about the filming the location the set the this the that and you know it's it's a whole other episode of discussion so let's let's move on from trivia and we'll talk about the budget and the the box office for a moment so it had a very standard big budget for a blockbuster movie of 2001 it had a 125 million dollar budget which a lot of your big movies from that time star wars things like that they had similar large budgets 125 million wasn't unheard of at the time but it blew it out of the water being the biggest movie of 2001 uh, for 974.8 million dollar box office run which is just an amazing box office run for a child's fantasy movie that's you know predominantly about kids it's sold towards kids it was you know it's directed towards kids and so it just made a huge huge amount of uh, returns and that would pave the way for your harry potter 2 and 3 and 4 um which i mean we're greenlit but it's not unheard of that a movie does so poorly and they cancel a whole franchise that's that's basically what happens these days and uh, it's unfortunate when maybe you were a fan of a franchise or you were a fan of that first movie and we i think i've been you know i've been there before and if you've been there and you know you got your heart broken because they canceled your franchise because there were so many haters then my heart goes out to you and hold out hope that maybe maybe it gets picked up again maybe it gets uh turned into a franchise or a series you know on a, on a streaming platform because that happens so often now you know something gets canceled and it comes right back so don't lose hope if your favorite franchise or your favorite book series got a poor adaptation 
uh, many moons ago because hold on to hope. Maybe it comes back around. You never know. Uh, in Hollywood, things always come back and they make reboots and remakes and it's it can be a good time again. So hopefully, hopefully your time comes if you're waiting for your favorite franchise to be adapted. That's what I say to you. Hopefully your time comes. Hopefully you get to see your favorite, you know, hero or character and you get to see them portrayed by a really cool actor and they get to have a really cool suit and some cool superpowers and they get to do something really awesome because it's fun. That's, you know, it's fun. It's fun to see those adaptations. And I think that's why, you know, I said it before, I think that's why people enjoy watching adaptations and why it's really fun work and it's really fun to see you know a compare and contrast to source material and you know it's that question of how are they going to adapt it and uh that's a little tangent on the end of budgets and and box office uh but i think that's where we're going to end today's episode this has been the nerd review uh this has been harry potter episode 10 i hope you've enjoyed the show i hope you enjoy the previous shows and upcoming shows and this is where i'm going to sign off this has been the nerd have a great one <laughs>